Welcome back to the Team Podcast, and I'm your host, James Whitelock. This week's guest is Neil Johnson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Team Podcast, and I am joined today by Neil Johnson from uh, Apex Recruitment Services. Neil, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you very much, James. Um, uh, the you know the format is pretty standard with these with these podcasts. Is we always like to kind of get a little bit of uh, understanding about you and your background and your journey into recruitment, uh, and then a little bit about your kind of what what kind of Apex Recruitment do as well. So maybe you can kind of start with giving us a bit about how you got into recruitment in the first place. Yeah, sure. I think I'm like many other people and the fact that I fell into recruitment. Um, I don't think any many of us actually sort of sit at school or at university thinking, I know recruitment's going to be my way forward. Um, so in terms of background, I spent about 12 or 13 years uh, working in the investment banking sector in London. Uh, I met my wife down there. Uh, we had two small children and we decided to have a complete lifestyle change. So we moved from London up to the Midlands and it was actually my mother-in-law that established Apex back in 1978. My father-in-law is now the chairman um, and it's my brother-in-law at I that now run the business on a day-to-day basis. So in terms of kind of that history, um, for the past 10 years, we've tried to move into more specialisms. Mm-hmm. So prior to that, we were more generalist high street recruitment agency. Uh, and I remember in my first few weeks, I worked on anything from a telemarketer through to a sous chef for a small pub in the countryside, through to a registered general nurse at a care home. Um, it literally, if it came in, we'd have a crack at it. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, we then um, engaged with a business angel or business coach um, at about 2012, 13, something along those lines. Um, and it's at that point we made the decisions to amalgamate the branches that were then sort of left remaining for us into one central hub, which is based just outside of Warwick. Mm-hmm. And we also took that particular opportunity to look to specialise in the automotive engineering and manufacturing sectors. Um, and were you already working in those sectors or was it, was it just a kind of an interest or what drove you in that direction? Um, as a business, I think historically, manufacturing was probably one of our key sectors. So although I mentioned earlier that we, we had a crack at anything, manufacturers always underpinned a lot of what we did. Um, engineering then sort of span off the back of that manufacturing piece. And uh, we, work, we work with a large automotive OEM based up in Warwickshire and had done for about 30 odd years. Um, and at the beginning of 2011, they came back with a big bang. And it was from that point forth, really, that we really started to accelerate, uh, if you excuse the pun, in the automotive <laughs> sector. And uh, we're now using a lot of the successes from that one client to then build out other automotive clients. Um, so we're now to about four or five different OEMs that we're working with on a regular basis. Uh, and what are the kind of roles that you recruit into in, in the automotive industry? Tend to be what we call grey collar. So these tend to be skilled roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so city and guilds, one, two, and three, or MVQ equivalents. Um, so the types of roles, sort of vehicle technicians, uh, paint sprayers, panel beaters, and the yeah. like. Yeah. Is that, and uh, kind of automotive is always one of the areas that you think is going to be, we're always kind of told that um, automation is kind of taking over there. And is that something that you've seen? Is it something you kind of, uh, how does that affect your kind of your business? No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's, we're, we're probably at the biggest transition phase in the automotive sector since Ford first rolled off the car off the production line. 
electrification and then ultimately autonomous vehicles are going to be huge change to the automotive sector. We're starting to see that come through now um, with a number of requirements for electrically qualified or trained vehicle technicians. Mm -hmm. So perhaps the days of someone picking up a spanner and a wrench um, and then fixing the vehicle is now plug in the laptop, diagnose what the issue is and fix it like that. I mean, if you took Tesla as a good example, nowadays about 75% of the servicing of a Tesla vehicle are done remotely mm. via software updates as opposed to somebody physically touching the car. Yeah, I mean, it, it, a car, those, the kind of modern electric cars like, like Tesla, et cetera, are closer to a laptop than they are yeah. to the kind of original motor vehicle, isn't it, these days? So you can understand that there's a definite change in um, talent requirements and skill sets for the people servicing them, building them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and said the number of moving parts on an electric vehicle is so much less as well than a traditional combustion engine. Um, so it means, and also brake pads, for example, um, whereas a normal vehicle, you might actually brake to stop the car or slow it down. With an electric vehicle, by taking your foot off the accelerator, it automatically starts braking. So therefore, yeah. you're regenerating power into the battery, but it means you're not then using the brake pads. So in terms of brake pads wearing out or brake discs, that becomes less of an issue with an electric vehicle versus a traditional vehicle. So is there um, a movement within the automotive industry to reskill kind of people who are, who are kind of moving from kind of this, this new into this new electrical era? I, I think slowly. I think there, there's a demand for the, for the skill. And I don't think there's necessarily the same desire to train those individuals to be skilled. Um, we had one of our clients who had about 10 or 12 contractors that they were looking to utilize. Um, so we, we then put them through a um, HEV training course. So basically to get them a qualification at the end of it to say that they were fit and capable of actually dealing with electric vehicles. Um and does you only deal with kind of like uh, what we would cast as like road cars or are you dealing with kind of like lorries and those kind of industrial kind of type vehicles as well? No, it, it tends to be more a traditional car, as yeah. you and I would call it, um, or four by fours. Um, in terms of commercial vehicles, I have done some work in that sector previously, um, but it's not an area that we're doing a huge amount in at the moment. But yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think the commercial vehicle world is probably a good, well, five years maybe slightly more behind the passenger vehicle mm -hmm. world. And if you think, you know, a big HGV needs to have a lot of power in it to actually um, pull what it's pulling due to yeah. the weight and size of that trailer. So to get the level of um, power that you need out of that electric vehicle and, and the battery as well, is going to be quite a challenge, I think, with regards yeah. to sort of change that commercial vehicle world. And, th and on top of that, I think as we're all aware, is that the infrastructure within the country needs to change dramatically as well. And I think so many people talk about range anxiety and the fact that, um, you know, what happens if I run out of, you know, charge when I'm on the M40, for example. And I think with electric vehicles, just you just have to think differently when you're driving it. And if you've got it sat at home and you've got a charger at home, you just plug it in whenever you get home. Whereas, you know, when we, we're used to that petrol or diesel car, whereby you run it down to, what, 20 miles, 30 miles, or yeah. two miles, whatever it might be, and then you go and fill up. Whereas with this, it's more like little and often, as yeah. opposed to a big, I'm going to yeah. charge it up from scratch. Yeah, it's, it's like a mobile phone, basically, at that point, isn't Absolutely. it? Yeah. Very yeah. similar. Yeah. Um, uh, Neil, as, uh, as the uh, director of... Um, Kind of an SME recruitment agency, there must be lots of things that you know 
tips, insights that you can kind of share with uh, the rest of the team members that that either they must kind of the same pain points they must be going through or the kind of things that that you've gone through that you can kind of share with uh, our listeners so have you got anything that you can kind of kind of can share with us today i think as a, as a business owner um you, you need to i mean the phrase jack of all trades master of none but you always need to be a master of all of them which is difficult and i think sometimes when you get busy you sometimes lose sight of those what i call pillars Mm-hmm. So for, for our business, we've got six main pillars that we use to run it. So we've got number one, which is finance, two, HR, three, PR marketing, four, business development, five, operations, and six, which we call physical assets. So things like IT, phones. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you tend to find, let's say, for example, you might be busy because you are spending a lot of time on business development. And while you're spending a lot of time on business development, sometimes you're thinking, oh, I haven't done anything on I don't, finance yeah. for the past week or two weeks. So it's important just, uh, yeah, I, I, we have an end of month meeting with the directors to talk about the six pillars. Where are we against our sub, um, targets and objectives on those six pillars? And sometimes like, oh, actually, I've not spent much time on this particular one. We must now get back to doing more on that as well. So it's just a good place to keep going back to. Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? And, um, and and with regards to those six pillars, do you have um, individuals in the business who look after those specifically, or have you kind of uh, are you does some one person look after three and someone look after two, or how how is that division of work kind of split up? Yeah, I, I think depending on the size of your business, um, we're at a point now we've got fifteen staff, um, and as I think as a smaller business, there is a temptation as the business owner to try and do all of them yourself. And I think we had the recognition a number of years back that finance was becoming a big part of our, of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, our business split at the moment is somewhere in the region of 95 to 96% temporary contractor versus the remaining being permanent recruitment. Mm-hmm. So for us, cash flow um, and making sure basically enough money to run the business is absolutely paramount. So we employed a ACCA qualified accountant to join the business. And for me, it's probably one of the best things we ever did. So it now means that she looks after the whole of the finance side of the business. Um, and it just gives us that, that comfort that you just know that the finance side of it is fine. And it's not necessarily something, I mean, my background, so being in banking was high level finance, but I never actually studied it as, as a subject. So I've got a good appreciation, but I wouldn't necessarily be able to go away and actually sort of run all our p and yeah. um, and the balance sheet, for example. So I think having that individual and a strong person doing that is so important because it means that also when you're doing your, your tax returns, for example, your real-time information submittals, your credit control, you just know they've been done and they've been done correctly and efficiently. And that makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, to answer your question about the other um, sort of, uh, pillars that we use, we, we try and sp- spread them out wherever we can. Um, I would suggest that probably myself and, and my brother-in-law, who is a sales and marketing director, look after probably two or three of them. And then we've got an office manager who looks after what I call physical assets. So she's responsible for the IT side of things and making mm-hmm. sure that the IT is up and running, making sure the phones are working as well. And you know, although we've got those six pillars, I always say that it's three things that I need to make my business run. And that are my staff, IT and telephones. Yeah. If I haven't got one of those three things, it's a massive hamstring to us. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I guess your um, your office manager must have been on overtime over the last year, just kind of try- getting everybody working from home. Yeah, well, well, I mean, we actually did a, a very sensible thing, which is 
unusual for me, but uh, <laughs> back in 2018, we actually migrated onto uh, Microsoft 365. Yeah. And it was just such a big change from us going away from having locally stored um, servers mm -hmm. so that if the office was out of commission, effectively, we were in trouble. Whereas now everything's on cloud. Yeah. So literally now, if I'm at home, I open my laptop, it's like I'm in the office. Yeah. Or if I take it away, I, mean, I went to Sweden um, about 18 months ago, went to the hotel room in Sweden, opened my laptop as if I was in the office. Yeah. And I think um, that made such a difference over that lockdown period because we were able to adjust from working in the office to transitioning yeah. to home working very, very easily. Well, certainly from an IT perspective, I think yeah. there was challenges with regards to communication and how that worked. Um, having been through the whole furlough sort of process as well, is that um, as directors, we furloughed most of our staff, which then meant it was almost sort of back to the floor for us mm -hmm. in terms of taking phone calls, responding to emails, doing business development, doing keeping in touch. But actually, it was quite nice in a way as well, because it meant you got back to doing the stuff that you did perhaps eight or 10 years ago, which actually yeah. speaking to clients, speaking to candidates, which perhaps you step away from as you get more senior within an organisation. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Is one of the things we we've kind of talked about on this podcast on several times is that is that point within as a as a manager slash director within a business. When do you stop recruiting? When do you step away from it? What's the, what's that point? Because I know it's very difficult for some people to kind of step away, and that kind of and it's a big wrench to to stop doing what you you what the business does and go into just managing the business and keep it running. Yeah, it is, it is a big, it's a big thing. And so many people I speak with, especially in the team network, is how do you make that transition? I don't think there's any right or wrong way of doing it. I think it's all based on trust. And you have to accept the fact that at some point, people are going to have to take over from you in particular areas. Yeah, I think it's then important that you've got the correct uh, metrics in place so you can measure and monitor the performance of the business without being hands-on all day, every day. Yeah. So we have a suite of reports that are either daily, weekly or monthly that we utilise. So it therefore means that I can look at those, um, you know, our daily report, number of CVs that we sent in that particular day, number of interviews, how many attempts do we have to start, how many sales calls have we done. And I can just look at those figures at the end of the day and I can just sort of see what level of activity mm -hmm. we've had. Yeah. And then you know that from a ratios point of view, that if you did X number of CVs, then that should translate to Y number of interviews which then goes into yeah. Z number of placements. I guess also uh, while everyone's still working, while everyone's working at home, it's a good way to just to kind of uh, monitor performance as well, you know, and it's kind of just keep on top of that, which I think is with a lot, lot of um, business owners was a, a concern right at the start with how do you monitor performance? Are people going to, you know, take the mick basically now that they're kind of working from home? Yeah. And I think sort of picking up on that working from home, please, is that, uh, our staff are doing a fantastic job in terms of the level of collaboration that's taken place, considering it all being done remotely. Mm -hmm. However, we are still firm believers that for the type of recruitment that we do, being in an office space is still advantageous over doing it remotely. Mm -hmm. Because especially if you're in an executive search, for example, that and you're dealing with a particular role, then the need to interact with others is probably less important. Whereas if we're doing a project piece where we're looking for, I don't know, 10 vehicle technicians, trying to do that remotely was possible, mm -hmm. but I just didn't feel it was as efficient as it yeah. would be in an office. Yeah. So for us, we're, we're, our intention is to go back into the office as of the 21st of June um, and, and to see people work together. 
And then from there, we'll make the decision about whether we think that there is more flexibility needed for people to work from home or whether we actually believe that going back into the office is the right thing is what we should be doing going forward. Uh, Amazing. Brilliant. Uh, Have you got uh, another kind of um, little tip you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I I hear a lot about with recruitment is uh, it's all about sales. And probably the number one issue complaint that we get from clients is that all salespeople. I think for me, I always see recruitment as a service industry, not a sale. And therefore, um, our success over the past 40 plus years has been built very much around keeping in touch with our existing client base. I think so many companies, this isn't just in recruitment, are already so busy chasing the new sale and the new client that they forget about looking after their existing client base. So as quickly as they're winning new clients, they're losing existing clients in the rearview mirror. So for me, it's a balance between the two. It's about making sure you look after your existing client base. You try and grow that out more because there are always opportunities with existing clients that I think a lot of us forget about because we're all so busy looking at the new thing. So I would encourage people to always look at exploring more about their existing clients and, and starting there when it comes to growing up your business rather than always focusing on something new. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting point. I, I, as um, as marketeers, uh, and my business obviously, that's that's where we where we are. We talk a lot to our clients around, um, you know, targeting your existing database, trying to kind of do a little bit of kind of keep that level of communication up. You know, you know, subtly trying to upskill and cross sell and cross and, and, and upsell and things like that. Um, and I think you're right. It's something that maybe we don't do enough. I think it sometimes that gets confused with the, uh, you know making a complimentary phone call once every three months is not really the same as keeping them warm and nurturing them for, for, for future projects. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we had a client recently that's come on board with us um, and we first made contact with them 18 months ago. So, uh, and, and I think probably the world's changed is that I'm not sure there is anything that's called a quick win anymore. It yeah. feels as though everything um, needs to be really worked at and the, the F, front is a lot greater than perhaps it was 10 15 years ago well mm. you know anecdotally I, I hear people saying you know well, it'd be a nice chat down the pub or somebody yeah. coming sitting opposite you and, and whereas nowadays it feels a lot more difficult to really get that trust of somebody yeah yeah so I think it's important um uh, we, 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 uh, again we're used to that being we're uh, we only deal with kind of recruitment agencies so we're used to kind of having to kind of play the long game because traditionally agencies are glacially slow in making decisions so we're kind of used to playing play, playing that game yeah <laughs> um have you got one more tip for us neil yeah i, I think um, something that um jeremy snell um, who i think a lot of people know from the team network is one of our trainers um he put something on linkedin the other day with regards to valuing your time um, and I think as, as certainly as business leaders and certainly within the recruitment sector is that you will never, ever get to the end of the day and say, I've finished my job. Mm. There's always more that we could be doing. There's always more business development calls we could be making or LinkedIn messages we could be sending or candidates we could be sourcing. But I think the important thing is, is, is knowing to value your own time, knowing when to have a break and refresh because otherwise you'll, you'll just burn out. And, yeah. and I think that's the biggest thing I've learned over the past probably 10, 11 years now of working within the business is knowing when to have the rest, but then knowing when to push. Yeah. And yeah. finding that balance. Because if you try and keep you try and keep going all the time at 100 miles an hour, eventually you're mentally or physically burn out. 
yeah, no, you can't kind of do it consistently. Um, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you uh, today. We will include all of your details in the show notes if anybody wants to reach out and let know a little bit more, uh, maybe even more about your kind of uh, your kind of um, your six pillars. That would be we will uh, uh, include that. Uh, but for now, Neil, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Team Podcast. I've been your host, James Whitelock. For more information about Team, visit theteamnetwork.co.uk. The Team Podcast is a Thinking Circles production.